right, everybody, welcome to Puck It. We'll do it live, our Twins Fest edition. I'm sitting here with Aaron Gleeman. Zach uh, Pierce is potentially home with the flu. He doesn't have the flu yet, but he thinks the flu is coming and decided to sit this one out, which, you know, given that it's the middle of January, I'm glad I'm not going to have the flu in the next couple of weeks. I don't know about you, Aaron. He has flu-like symptoms. That's, yes. I've always wanted to use that in an actual context, and that's what he has. We, we have a, an actual use for this now that's real. And, uh, Zach, we uh, hope you get well soon, even though you don't have the flu-like symptoms totally quite yet. Yeah. But uh, keep, keep your family safe. Anyways, uh, we are going to go over the almost uh, not Josh Donaldson podcast because we've talked that one so many times. There's about 72 articles on The Athletic. Currently, Aaron has a great one from, I think it was Wednesday night, maybe it was Thursday morning, uh, just about how strange this must be for Twins fans to have seen the team spend and be in this position where they made a splash. Um, and it was a really great piece. Uh, just briefly go into a little detail about that. Well, like the, we both went to the press conference, obviously, and afterward, when we were thinking, like, what could we write about this, I just remember thinking... This was just weird. And not in a, it was clearly a good way. Everyone was right. hyped up. It was very good news. Everyone was excited. But I felt like it was a room full of people who essentially just wanted to take Josh Donaldson inside and say, No, really, why did you? <laughs> exactly. Why did you do it? And that what struck me is looking around the room, it was all people who live in Minnesota or like you who have chosen, chosen to come work in Minnesota. Yeah. Long time, to, like Dave St. Peter was standing next to me during the press conference against the wall. And I'm like, this guy's been here 30 years. And I even got the sense from him, he was like, we did it. Right. Like we actually, and so I thought that was the most interesting vibe. Like you said, I mean, we each have written a couple things now breaking down what the actual move means right. in terms of third base defense and power hitting and all that stuff. I mean, we can talk about that forever. But yeah, I thought it was like they finally got one. And everyone wanted to ask Donaldson, like, how come you're the one? <laughs> right, right. Because, it, and, and it comes down to dollars and cents. Right. There's no question. I'm guessing he had by far the best offer from the Twins. But they value him. And, and they also get the edge from him that right. is going to be a good dynamic in that clubhouse. Uh, that's one thing we haven't done a whole lot about. Um, but he can bring some stuff that they didn't have. He is not a nice guy on the field. We... He, you know, he's a competitor and one of those guys who's going to fight you kind of uh, vibe if you mess with me. Um, and I think that's a good thing to add to a team. It's a really good clubhouse. It's the kind of clubhouse who can take a personality like that and absorb it and take some good things from it. Um, so it, it is it has been a fascinating week for sure to see this close out. And now we're at 10 days since it actually came down, the signing. But um, it has been surreal for sure. Yeah, so we're recording this. We are literally looking out on a snow-covered target field, and, and we went to the media luncheon a minute ago, and so every, everybody from the organization was there, and I talked to a few people, and everyone said the same thing, which is, I'm ready for baseball now. Right. And I feel like that's the case anyway, because we're looking out at snow, but the Donaldson, I, I think in a way, the timing of the Donaldson thing was perfect for interest in the Twins. Uh, yeah. In that, if they had signed Josh Donaldson three weeks into the offseason... By today, people would be like, well, what's next? Right. Whereas they got everything, they checked all the marginal boxes, they re-signed Odorizzi, they re-signed Pineda, they added to the bullpen, all that stuff. Some moves that people were like, okay, that was a smart move. Dick Mountain. 
Dick Mountain, who I'm looking forward to talking to some yeah. at some point, uh, just because our colleague Andy McCullough has written about a thousand funny articles about him. Amazing. Yes. If if you and I can't come up with one good Dick Mountain psycho Rich Hill yeah. article, we have failed as as writers. There's a lot of pressure here. On that. that is true. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so many people, and it really. I think a lot of people would have given them like a C yeah. for the off season. Yeah. And now I'm not saying it has to be an A plus, but I think B plus, A minus range should be what most fans are, are viewing it as. And I think the timing of this leading up to Twins Fest, you get a little carryover with that. Yeah. And honestly, we're we're I'm I'm booking flights to Fort Myers. We're looking ahead to you know, we're three weeks or four weeks away now from actual Sitting at a ballpark in Fort Myers and watching baseball, which is and watching absurdly boring baseball. Sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. I'm. I, you're gonna get to see uh, how much apathy I have for spring training games because they are awful and meaningless, and you just question your will to live at that point. But um, <laughs> Dave St. Peter made some comments in October. I talked to him about it. You know, the team had such a great year, reattracting fans, and it was something that. You know, it was a nice complimentary off season all along. And he had said back then, we think that some of the kind of rumors that are going to be out there are going to energize our fans. And it's funny, up until they got Donaldson, the rumors were pissing off fans. Right. But now that you got him, you have had a very complete off season, and you've spent the fifth most money in baseball, which is just a what universe are we in right now um and uh, by the way i have a story up on the donaldson signing too uh, including uh dad levine's uh going to iceland with his family in the middle of the negotiations uh going into the uh checking out geysers going in uh, bathing in hot springs with his family and doing all this cool stuff um you know checking out volcanoes and and everything that occurred in that five-week span including the miguel snow hype video and Fun, fun stuff, um, and, and it feels like we've been talking about him forever. Uh, so let's, with that, let's segue on because one of the things that has come up over the week of this caravan, which um, you know, our friend over at BP and Twins Daily, uh, Matt Trueblood, made a really good point that when Bruce Dargraderall, uh, there's been a lot of talk that he's going to be in the bullpen, and that it sounds confirmed. To talk to Wes Johnson and Derek Falvey about it after the uh, the luncheon on Friday, and just what he's going to bring to this bullpen. Um, I think we are all probably imagining the, what is he, 44th number, number 44 prospect in baseball or somewhere yeah. around there. We're imagining what that peak guy can bring if he reaches that. And, and you know, that's a lot to put on a 21-year-old that he can reach that. But he's got so much talent compared with this group, which is already a very talented group. And so the idea of throwing him in there when you have established guys you know, you look at what they were when they brought in Tyler Clippard and they brought back Sergio Romo. They were so much better off already at that point than they were last year at this time. Um, you know, Blake Parker was the big free agent addition. And he held his own for a while. He skated by, and then it caught up with them, and it went bad poorly in the middle of summer. But this group, the depth of it, not only should allow Bruce Dargraderall to ease his way in, but I mean, I think there's a lot for him to gain from being around these guys, and and just the overall depth. This this feels like it has a a piece that you know, as, as Matt said there today, could be even better than their lineup. Yeah, I mean, I think back to this time last year, and I was among the people shocked by the fact that, like you said, Blake Parker was the only right. major league bullpen move, and I looked at the bullpen and I was like, what are they doing? Yeah, and it, it it's not. 
it's a little bit like some of the complaints we're hearing about the rotation, but I think it was even stronger at that point. Yeah, because it was. Because you basically had Taylor Rodgers, and that's it. And so now, uh, you know, Trevor May had an up-and-down season, but I think you can look at him and say he's clearly a late-inning caliber reliever. When right, it's going especially right. the way he came on after yeah. Romo got there and and then the, Tyler Duffy is a completely different pitcher than he was yeah. a year ago or two years ago. People are still having trouble well, absorbing that. Yeah. Fans, lifelong fans. But And then, like you said, Clippard and Romo are great complementary pieces. Yep. I mean, I, I would guess that Romo will start out as like their eighth inning guy. Absolutely. And the hope is then by June he's their sixth inning guy because yep. Duffy or Gratterall or May or whoever. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, they go – before they started talking this past week – or recently, about Gratterall going to the bullpen, I thought they were seven, eight, maybe nine deep in above-average relievers. Right. And maybe the upside on some of those wasn't huge, but that's what Gratterall brings to the table that some of the other guys doesn't, which is that, A, you don't have to start him out as a setup man. He can pitch the sixth inning. Yep. He can be a long reliever. I mean, he could come in in the fifth inning if, and go in, at one and two-thirds or something like that. Low leverage. But, I mean, we saw even the glimpse we saw down the stretch last year. Ten strikeouts, one walk, or something like that. I mean, the velocity was unreal. The slider yeah. looked unreal at times when he could command it. Yeah. And I'm still – my assumption, like if you would have asked me last month, I thought they'll send him to AAA to be a starter. He's got to stretch out. He's got to prove he's durable. He's had injury issues. Yeah. Um, and I still think ultimately – I don't like the idea of crossing that off the list, but they may not be crossing that off the list. Right. I mean, my favorite pitcher in Twins history, Johan Santana, when I first started writing about the Twins, the first series of articles I wrote were free Johan Santana. <laughs> and the whole premise was, this guy's in the bullpen. He's been lights out for two and a half years in the bullpen. you got to move him to the rotation. Right. Well, there's a scenario where they can do, hopefully it won't take three years, but they can do that with Gratterall is, let him get his feet wet. Let him make an impact in the major leagues. Let him get healthy, gradually build up some confidence and maybe build up durability and arm strength and all that. And there's nothing keeping them from turning him back into a starter. But here's – and this is a nice problem to have. Yeah. My fear, quote-unquote, is he's just an amazing reliever immediately. And then in June, some starter gets hurt. And they go, well, we could put Gratterall in the rotation and have him go four or five innings right away, but uh, we could just let him be a lights-out reliever for the next 15 years, too. And and here's the thing. and I, that's a, With the stuff he has, that's a, a very legit concern because he has the best stuff of the group collectively, although I'd say with the rarity of what Rodgers brings from the left side, it's probably a higher percentile uh, of yeah. what he has. But you you do run that risk for sure, but... This, to me, says that the Twins, they're not going to say for sure he is a reliever for the rest. Right. This is them making another win right now move because the way that Bruce Gratterall best suits them in 2020, and he's ready to pitch in the big leagues. Uh, he's going to take his lumps at times. There's no question he's going to be a rookie. But the best way for him to fit this franchise this year is to pitch out of the bullpen because that's where he can make his biggest impact. The most innings he's ever thrown in the minor leagues is 102. That was two years ago. So you're looking at like 70 innings last year, something like that. The most innings he's got to throw, if, if you're fill, like following the 50% increase, is 110 max somewhere. That doesn't really help this team because if he's building up as a starter in the minors and he throws 60, then you're like maybe 50 down the stretch in, in October. It doesn't seem like the optimal way to use him this year. And I think the way they're attacking this right now is 
they're putting any future plans on hold and saying, let's do what we can for this team. And, and when you flush out the bullpen the way it is, I mean, uh, it, we're going to go hockey here. I feel like they have, and, and you see it, Taylor Rogers gets used on three or four days, right? You don't want to use him on that fifth day. And we saw workload catch up to him a little bit last year. I think they have two lines now of real, uh, guys they can count on 7th, 8th, ninth, And this, this is assuming that uh, we, we can say Gratterall's a sixth-inning guy to start, and maybe he plays his way up. But you have five guys who have closed games out at this point. Duffy, I think, has one save. Uh, but... Rogers obviously is your guy. May closed a few out at the end, 18, and and really likes those roles too. Romo was a, a closer for a long time, and Clippard can do it too. So you look at that, you have two groups of three that you can rotate in and out to keep guys fresh all year. This doesn't count the rest of the group. Zach Littell, I don't know that he's going to throw 97. He hit it a few times last year. If he can sustain a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, he's a really good weapon, especially when he's like your sixth best reliever. Um that's the depth strikes me, and and if it, you know, if you go into the season before Pineda and, and Hill are back, um, with the assumption that say Lewis Thorpe and Dobnak are your fourth and fifth starters, one that fifth starter is not going to be used all the time, so you're going to have him in the pen, and maybe Devin Smeltzer is your eighth guy, and maybe you're looking at someone who gives you a little depth and length, and you have a really dynamic group that can break up games that give you the chance for Odo to only go six and and. Three innings can be covered very easily, and then you're not taxed for the next day. And I think that's a huge key for them is that, you know, this 13-man staff is guaranteed basically with the 26-man rotation. And, uh, they have so much depth, and, and, and using him, maybe he is a two-inning guy for a little bit, uh, Gratterall. It, it it just opens up more flexibility and like uh, just gives dynamic looks in the pen, and, and it really does state how important 2020 is to this team. And, and we know that Josh Donaldson – Maybe like at 34, you're hoping you get two really great years out of him, and then you're not sure what you might get because he's going to be 36. So these next two years are big for them, and, and this bullpen can be a real big key to that success because they're not just going to score runs. They should be able to prevent them from the fifth inning on or the fourth inning on if if that was the, the case. And maybe they can make up for some of the inequities on the back end of that rotation. And yeah, I mean, I think having watched and written about the Twins – for now 15 years or whatever. The previous regime, the notion of a bruised Gratterall at 21, I mean, go back and look at how they treated Barrios, who was a much more polished, was 22, 23. He pitched a year and a half at AAA. He made like 40 AAA starts. The notion of a decision even being made about a guy like Gratterall shows that, not that they're all in, like you said, there's... They, that he's, that he's going to begin the season in the bullpen doesn't mean that he can't have a 10-year career as a starter. It's yet to be seen. But, I, I mean, this goes along with the Donaldson thing. This goes along with landing Nelson Cruz. This goes along with everything they've done. You know, they talked a big game about expanding departments and analytics and all that stuff. But their approach is just, we got a guy here who nobody wants to face. Why have him in Rochester? And so I would I would prefer to see him as a starter long term because I right, think that's a bigger right. impact. But in the meantime, he's one of their best eight or nine relievers, and so why not have him in the in the bullpen? And the other thing is, you know, you I saw you talking to Wes Johnson today after the uh, after, and you were, like you said you were talking about Gratterall a little bit. Yeah, uh, Latell had a breakthrough. Tyler Duffy had one of the biggest breakthroughs I've ever seen. Yeah, and just in general, the 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 reviews 
talking to pitchers or just looking at numbers that Wes Johnson, you know, he didn't hit a home run with every guy. Right. Some guys didn't work. They were let go, whatever. But I do think there's some value of, like, well, we could send Gratterall to AAA. And they got great coaches at AAA, too. They do. But also, like, let's give Wes a real shiny new toy here and see what Wes can do. Uh, not that he needs any velocity help. Right. But that slider has a chance to be just an unhittable pitch when combined with a 100-mile-an-hour fastball. Yeah. And I think there's still some hope that he's got a, a usable changeup in there, too. Now, if he's a reliever, you just tell him to scrap that, basically. Right, right. But, I, I, and, you know, from a command standpoint, the thing that impressed me the most about Gratterall, everyone, you know, we were 102 miles an hour, right. it's crazy. And he's just a huge guy, and he was 20. It's just unbelievable. But, like... He was throwing strikes. Right. And if you go back and look in the minors, the number of guys as a starter in the minors, throwing 100 is very limited. Throwing 100 and not walking six guys per nine innings is even more limited. And so I really feel like this guy, if they can keep him healthy and get his command where I think it has a chance to be, I mean, this could be a a closer where he's, you know, going up against Aguilera and Nathan in terms of all-time saves or our our friend uh, Glenn Perkins in all-time saves. And so... The, the guy I feel bad for is, like, Cody Stashak, Matt Whistler, yeah. sort of marginal guys who have a chance to be a really quality major league uh, reliever. Now, they'll get their shots, yeah. but the Gratterall thing does bump someone potentially, but this speaks to them being eight or nine deep, basically. Which is, especially with the bullpen, always right. key because you never know if somebody's going to get hurt. You never know if somebody's going to fall off. You know, a year ago in the season – Gratterall had to take a step back because they had a shoulder impingement. And that's one part you wonder where that plays into their decision-making. But the the thing that I like, too, on this is the idea of, and it's the same thing that Miguel Sano benefited from Nelson Cruz last year, uh, is the mentorship possibilities. And Gratterall, um, if you look at his Instagram all last year, he was telling Jose Barrios he was going to be there real soon and couldn't wait to be there. Those two, uh, there's a little bit of a... He, he wants to be baby La Maquina. Uh, he loves being around Barrios. And having the two of them, just for him to see what Barrios puts into a season and what it takes to get there, um, because there are very few guys that work that hard. Um, his, uh, I think that Barrios leads the team in negative 11% body fat and that Kepler is right behind him at negative yeah. 10.5. They, they have an internal competition that only my mind knows about. But... <laughs> but uh, you know, like just to have him be around that guy for a year and someone who he looks up to, and Barrios is one of those guys that you would want your kid to be around that kind of guy. And I don't, I don't say that lightly because been in four, this is my 14th year. There's a lot of bad dudes in baseball, but this guy is like family baseball, and that's that's it. You see his kids in the clubhouse more than anybody uh, because he just wants them to absorb it. And I think that giving Gratterall that guy to be around for a lot of time, plus having him around Romo and Clippard and all these guys who have been through all the wars in the bullpen. There's so much value to be gained for the 21-year-old in that, and he's not going to come in, and they're not going to ask him to be the guy right away. And that's huge because we were looking at this last year, and Trevor May all of a sudden needed to be the guy because Addison Reed just didn't have it anymore. And, you know, it was going to be Blake Parker, and Tyler Duffy got sent down right before the start of the season, and, and look where he turned out to be. I mean... The bullpen was so in flux for a while, and they got by for a while because the Bomba squad was so awesome. But when it got to the tight games in the middle of the summer, they started to falter. July was an ugly mess. There was that Mets game. Uh, I think they were up 3-2. to two. They lost 14-3. to three. Yeah. There was that whole Oakland series where uh, Rodgers blew a save or two. Hendricks blew a save for the A's. Like, 
all this back and forth, and I just the stability that should be there at the end of games when you've outscored these guys and hold leads in place, I think is a lot more realistic this year with this group going forward because of that depth. And we're going to see Whistler. Wes Johnson brought him up and said he's got to watch. Um, and Cody Stashek really made the front office happy last year just with the way he came up and performed. And, you know, we saw the Smelters and Dobnaks come in in the middle of the games and stuff like that. Obviously, Dobnak became a starter towards the end. But, I mean, they have so many guys that they can roll around and throw in in different ways. And right. they like Sean Poppin, who's another guy who gained so much velocity on his fastball just through mechanical stuff. So it, it's an interesting group. It's not it's not the household name group right. as the whole unit, other than Odorizzi and Barrios. People probably know Homer Bailey. But I think there's a lot more there than fans are looking at right now. And it might take it being on their TV screens and them seeing games get shut down from the fifth inning on, and then they're like, oh, maybe we are good. Because look at, everybody thought the Yankees were going to win the World Series in 17 when they pulled off that trade with the White Sox that brought them David Robertson and Tommy Canley. And all of a sudden you have Batances, you have, was Chapman there that year? Was Chapman? I think Chapman, yeah. yeah. You had Chapman, Batances, you had Robertson and Canley. And you had like... And, and Chad and Green. Chad Green, exactly. They had the they had the group that went 26 outs against the Twins. Yeah. And everybody thought, oh, this is, a, this is it. They're going to shut down every game. They didn't have great starting pitching at the time. And yet they were predicted to win a series because they could score and prevent runs at the end. And who knows how it all turns out. Uh, but I think that it's a lot more interesting than maybe people want to give it credit for just because they didn't get Zach Wheeler. And they didn't get Bumgarner or Hinjin Ryu. And, you know, it was disappointing in that way. Uh, but when you pair it all together and throw in Donaldson, it's it's a pretty interesting bunch that are taking forward to Fort Myers. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I still, and I think you probably agree, but I still think whether it's before opening day or before the trade deadline, I think they need to get another playoff caliber starter. Yeah. But I agree with what you're saying. And it's sort of as you were describing that, it made me think of like a football team. Dan's a 49ers fan, so he's been just going around talking about 49ers. Don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, so, But it made me think of a good offensive team where the defense might be average-ish overall, but if you can get ahead two scores and let the defensive ends pin their ears back and just rush the passer, yeah, uh, they can do some damage. And I feel like that's kind of what you were describing with the bullpen, which is let Donaldson and Cruz and company get them up 6-1, 7-3, whatever, 5th, 6th inning. Yeah. And then you just go, all right, boys, pin those ears back. Uh, Bruzdar's going to come in and throw 103 for 15 pitches. And then Romo's going to come in and throw that Frisbee uh, <laughs> for 15 pitches. And then Duffy's going to be the guy he was, hopefully, last year. And then uh, Taylor Rogers to close it out. Right. And, the, and by the way, uh, if you don't like that recipe, Tyler Clippert. He's going to shut down some lefties, whatever. And, and Trevor May, I mean... There's so many options, and you know the truth is that half the guys we're talking about, just by virtue of relief pitching, are not going to be what we think, whether right. it's Duffy or May. By injuries, I mean the shelf life of a reliever staying the way they are, good yeah. or bad, yeah. is, is much shorter than a starter. But, yeah, I mean, I think this, this – I still think, you know, major league caliber, playoff caliber, excuse me, starting pitcher is a priority, and I still think they should be making calls about that. We're not saying otherwise, but I just think – the notion that this team is all hitting and no pitching, A, they were fifth in the American League in pitching. If Michael Pineda doesn't get suspended, the whole notion of the postseason rotation and just the postseason in general might be a little different. If he yeah, goes, if he goes five and two thirds and allows two runs in that game instead of there's an Uber driver starting the, you know. Yeah. And let's be honest, 
Randy Dobnik has a chance to be a pretty decent pitcher coming out of nowhere. Yes. I feel bad for him in a way because because Joe Buck wouldn't shut up about the Uber driver thing. Yes. Your friend Joe Buck, by the way. And I'm not even <laughs> ripping him. It was a hell of a story. But if you're a Twins fan and you hear that over and over and then the guy struggles in the playoffs, it becomes a punchline. Right. But I was looking at um, Zip's projections on fan graphs today of the Twins pitching. And Dobnik's projected to be like uh, 15% above uh, average as a, as a pitcher in whatever role. And so... Lewis Thorpe, we've barely even talked about. And right. whether it's as a lefty long reliever or a fourth starter, they seem pretty confident that he's a guy who can make an impact too. So, yeah. it, like you said, it's not household names, and it might take a month or two to people to go, oh, Duffy is for real, or wow, Bruzdar is for real. I mean, like, the, I, I don't think they're going to have the best uh, ERA in the league. Yeah, I'm not saying you feel great starting Barrios, Odorizzi, and Pineda in a playoff series. You shouldn't feel terrible, and a bullpen is more powerful now than it ever has been potentially in the history of baseball. Yeah, and like you said, the sort of flexibility between roles to go two innings, to go four innings, to go you know, Odorizzi and, and Barrios and Pineda are really the only guys that they're locked in as sort of traditional starting pitchers at this point. And, and to the point about adding a starting pitcher, this team was ready last year at the deadline to make a move, it didn't happen can tell you there were a lot of people that were still pissed when Stroman got traded. Right. They thought they had a better offer on the table. There were a couple teams that thought they had a better offer on the table. Sometimes teams, the Blue Jays love the two guys they got, and, and they were satisfied with what they got. There's internal talk that they were higher on those guys, and they think they got a really good deal for Stroman. But you talk to other teams around the league, and they're shaking their heads like, hey, should have come back to us and talked. We would have given you more than that. Um, they were ready to do it with Wheeler. Wheeler basically said no to you. We're not coming to you. Right. before. There, so this is how it works. There are five teams in on pursuing him heavily. He gets to a point, all right, you need to reach this level if you're serious about me. The Twins reached that five-year, $100 million level. There were five teams. Two were then told, look, we appreciate you being here and, and being part of this, but he's not coming to you. So they never got a chance to make a last bid. I know that for a fact. I don't know that they go 118. Right. It wouldn't have surprised me if they went 5 and 110, 112. They valued him enough, and that was way higher than his projections. I think his first projection was like 4 and 80 million, or 4 and 80, you know, somewhere in yeah. that. And here he is getting 5 and 118. So they didn't get included on that, and that was a geographical choice. But it was disappointing nonetheless. And, and they wanted to make that move. But they have shown right now with Donaldson, by bringing up Gratterall, um, I, I think they feel like they know their windows now. They they will make that move if it materializes. I don't know that that happens before the season starts. If the Rockies suddenly just decide Arenado's done with them and that leads to John Gray getting traded, jump on that in a second. You know that Robbie Ray seems like a guy who could easily be traded from Arizona. Do they make a move before the season? It's it's getting late in the spring and teams love to know usually on February 12th, but. It doesn't mean in July that that won't happen. And I think that, you know, they've clearly made it the signal that they want to do this. And they have so many people in that farm system that can be a centerpiece for a trade. And, you know, you look at some of the internal development last year and, and Jordan Balazovic coming up. And now that's a guy that if he backs up what he did last year and, and you know, he was in showcase games, man, that would be a really good pitcher to center a trade around. And, and he's a guy who's building or filling into his body. He's, you know, 6'5", and gaining the right weight and, and just keeps going and increasing. You look at him. You look at Kirilov. You look at Lewis. 
they have so many dudes that somebody could just be like, this is the guy we start with. And when you go, and then it's right. packing peanuts. So I, I do think if they feel like the move is there, they'll make it. They are not afraid to do that. You didn't sign Josh Johnson at age 34 without – you knew that there's some uh, risk-averse years at the back end right. of the contract. So clearly they're willing to go forward, and, and I think that will factor into their trades. Although they love prospects, there is that caveat. But I do think that they are willing to move. And we learned from the previous regime, who also hoarded prospects, perhaps more than any regime ever. Yeah. But it is important because, you know, we're talking about them spending, but their payroll's a, a tad under $140 million. Right. You can't trade away all your prospects and pay market rates for players and still have a 21st-ranked payroll, which is about where they're ever going to top out at, probably. Yeah. Um, but, like you said, if you have... I mean, they have six of the top 100 prospects in baseball. And they also have a couple guys that, if you talk to uh, some of their scouting and development guys in the front office, they point to, like, check back at midseason. We might have a different six. uh, Or three of these guys might be in the majors or traded and replaced in the top 100 by these guys. And the other thing is, you know, we talk about they could include this pitcher in a trade, yes. But, like, you look at, like, a guy like Duran. Mm Mm-hmm. You could build a hell of a trade around him, Balzola, like you said, yeah. or Kirill. But like Duran, to me is okay. It's uh, July fifteenth. You can either go trade him for John Gray, yeah. or the equivalent. Uh, what if he's just got a two fifty ERA at AAA on July fifteenth, and you just say, "Oh yeah, we could just call this dude up and make him our fourth starter right. for the next seven years." instead of trading him for two years of a, of a starting pitcher. Now, the problem that the Twins are facing from like a morale standpoint, now the Donaldson thing settles a little of it, is that that middle term of from now until then, right. people just go, well, Homer Bailey's the third starter? Right. Uh, what the, What's going on? And yeah. so, uh, yeah, the Colorado thing that you brought up is very interesting because like if they start blowing it up and it, it, trading Arenado is blowing it up, yeah. there's absolutely, if you trade Nolan Arenado and it's not for like, uh, Chris Bryant or somebody like that yeah. who just steps in and is a similar player, there's zero reason whatsoever for them to have Jonathan Gray or John Gray on the on the roster, let alone you know guys they'd like to dump. Yeah. Uh, and so, and whether it's him or Matthew Boyd or Robbie Ray who you mentioned or some of the Boston guys that are they're yeah. clearly just trying to dump. So. Like they're if, if the Twins thought they were truly desperate and they needed a number two or number three starter for opening day or this season will fall apart, they could get a deal done. There are deals that either are on the table or they could easily get on the table to satisfy that, but they're not trying to do that. They're trying to sort of play the long game here and or at least the middle term game and try to actually hit a home run with this deal. And, you know, think if if they'd have pulled off the deal for Stroman. Yeah. Think and then this offseason just plays out identically. Yep. They add Donaldson, and now Stroman's your number two starter or your number three starter. They'd have checked every possible box. And Stroman's a really nice pitcher. Yeah. But getting Stroman or the equivalent is not an impossible task, even for a front office that hoards prospects. And so I realize asking Twins fans to have a little bit of faith is maybe a bit much, and I'm not trying to play PR for them. But if that's the remaining box to check... They have enough prospect capital and some payroll room and all kinds of clean books after this year to to get it done. And I think you know I'm not saying you got to give it an A plus as an off season, but let's just give them a B plus. Yeah. And say the 
hold off on kind of giving their final grade until July. And if they have another trade deadline where all they do is add a piece, uh, a mid-level piece, even Sam Dyson didn't turn out well, but I thought that was an okay pickup, but yeah, it wasn't brilliant or anything. If that's what they do again at the trade deadline, fire some criticism at them. Yeah. But I think, if anything, they're going to be more focused on making a pitching impact because, like you said, you're not signing Josh Donaldson for year three, four, and five of that deal. Right. You're signing him for today and maybe next year, and you want to have as, as much firepower, and that means Gratterall, but I think it'll also mean bringing in another impact pitcher. And and I actually go back to Theo Epstein, what he said about the Cubs a couple years back. Uh, you look at Jeff Luno and how the Astros uh, added Verlander at August 31st, um, but Epstein said you don't want your whole team in place on opening day. You don't want... You, you teams are always going to add over the course of a year and and giving one it's a long baseball season if you can add someone in the middle of the season you re-energize your group that's probably already energetic as it is the, there's benefits to that kind of stuff and it is the long game you're not going to overpay you're not going to pay six times the price for a chris archer right now right. when you might be able to get a better deal later on that that stuff all is factored into these decisions um it, it's going to be fascinating it's there is a buzz about this team right now, even though the snow is on the field. But um, one last quick topic here before we wrap up. But, um, you know, today, earlier on Friday here, Justin Morneau um, got in- inducted to the Twins Hall of Fame. Um, I made a joke on Twitter that he received 70 of 71 votes. That was a total bullshit uh, lie there. And uh, sorry, Mom, I didn't mean to curse. But uh, Aaron, obviously, I'm guessing Justin Morneau over the years was uh, one of your, your guys to – I mean, the Eminem boys in the middle there. What uh, maybe is uh, a favorite Justin Morneau uh, story from the years? I mean, I just, th- like, the things I'll remember about him, like you said, pairing with Maurer, I thought it was such a perfect, like, sort of thunder and lightning type of thing. Like, it, it reminded me of, like, a running back duo where, like, one guy's a scat back and the other guy is uh, running up the middle. Yeah. Where it was like, uh, Joe Maurer is uh, the best in the world at um, getting on first base. And then you had a guy after him uh, who hit just all doubles and homers. And we saw it play out in a year where Morno by wins above replacement. Or anything. He wasn't the MVP, but he was in such a perfect environment to drive in 137 runs or whatever <laughs> he drove in. And, you know, they were like true best friends. And also, here's what's apparent. We saw today they inducted, uh, like you said, um, Morno into the Twins Hall of Fame. He did a little interview with Dick Bramer and he did, you know, some a scrum with the media, all that. Uh, could not be a better human being. Yep. And, you know, that's true of, of Maurer, too. But the difference with Morno is he's embracing the FSN role. He's embracing some media stuff, some charity stuff, all that. And Bramer gave him, I think, a huge compliment because Bramer has been doing this a very long time and is, you know, the most professional-sounding yeah. uh, guy. And he's worked with uh, he's worked with Bert for a long time, but he's also worked with Small, you know. Kind of, he said, I've never heard anybody fresh to broadcasting take to it as quickly as Justin Morneau and the thing that so I I interviewed Glenn Perkins a few weeks ago and Perkins is trying to do some of the same stuff he's going to be doing stuff for FSN and he said the thing he saw from Morneau is an enthusiasm for being the middleman between the team and its fans which I think has been lacking with some announcers with this team and was a, a much needed jolt to the broadcast and then preparation and it's an opportunity. You start to see, like, oh, this must be what Morno was like as a player behind the scenes. And you, you hear about the same stories with, like, Nelson Cruz. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure Josh Donaldson, too, will hear some stories about that or see it. Where, it, like, 
he wants to hit that broadcast booth and not just say, yeah, the ball was left up, he hit it over the fence, but, oh, this guy has been throwing X percent of sliders since the All-Star break, and, oh, I remember when I faced this guy. And it's like, it's such an amazing thing, and you start to realize tremendous talent, obviously. But you start to see the type of person and the work ethic and, like, the enthusiasm for it, and you go, yeah, no wonder this guy was. A, a catcher drafted out of Canada who, like he said today, was hurt immediately and then all of a sudden becomes a Twins Hall of Famer. And, and, you know, the thing I'll never forget, sadly, with him is sliding into second base in Toronto and John McDonald's knee hitting his helmet. Yep. And if you'd have told me that's it for him, I think he was going to win the MVP that year, too. He was hitting yeah. 360 oh, with power. Ridiculous. The numbers were, like, legit MVP caliber. Um, and, you know, he stuck around. He played for the White Sox for a while. He played for the Rock. He won a batting title. Or maybe that was Kadir that won the batting title with Colorado. But, but had some put good decent years. numbers, yeah. good numbers. But you look at him and you say, this is a guy who could very easily be bitter about how things ended with him. And yet he is the opposite of that. Like, uh, the the luncheon clears out. Everyone's out of there except a few spare reporters. And Morno's off in the corner just talking shop with whoever will come talk to him. And so for all the memories I have of him on the field, I'll never forget, like, the little exhale he did before he made contact. And he had one of those mini Fred McGriff follow-through <laughs> above his head. Like, I can, I'll always picture that, and I'll just picture him lacing doubles into the, the gaps and, and Maurer with that weird running waddle, making it first to third or first to home on it. But more than that, I think he has a chance to sort of establish himself as like this new generation's like Blylevin type or someone who like when when somebody today is 50, they'll go, oh, yeah, I grew up listening to Justin Morneau. Right. And that's a bigger impact than even winning an MVP for a team could be. He uh, I was there for when he was with the White Sox that year right. and uh, that half year. Um, it's you never see a guy come in in the middle of the season and immediately people just gravitate to him media wise. But you knew he knew how to read the room. You knew he had the view of everything going on. He was he grew on me very quickly. There was a little bit of Pearl Jam uh, there. We, we were both big fans. Both of us were at a Wrigley show. And then he showed me the video that he had taken from behind the stage because Eddie invited him back there. And, and I'm like, thanks, dude. I was in the yeah. 20th row. Thanks yeah. for ruining my day. <laughs> uh, but but he just he knows how, one, he's smart. He's, he's just analytic uh he's apparently an organic farmer which yeah, was really, really cool we're gonna have to dive into that yeah. uh, at some point just make it syrup yeah and I don't, yeah and so very fascinating definitely deserving and um hopefully he got 71 of 71 but he's in the twins hall of fame and hey guess what Derek jeter's also in the hall of fame so yes it sucks that he only got 396 of 397 uh it was not me i voted for him you can see my ballot online but uh, he's in the same as Larry Walker's in, the same as Justin Morneau's in the Twins Hall of Fame, and that's all that matters. Anyways, uh, I want to say thanks to Aaron for dropping by this week on Puckett We'll Do It Live. I'm not sure when we'll be back. Most likely it will be when we're down in Fort Myers. Maybe we'll have one leading up to that or something. Uh, but uh, look forward to a lot of good content this year, and uh, thanks for everybody for listening. Okay.